Hi everyone, I am Chris Lopez. I am your union brother on TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms. Welcome to another episode of Union or Bust. Uh, it seems like nothing is stopping the labor movement right now, and we have a special guest. We actually have Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Glad to be with you, Chris. Well, first, I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas, in an immigrant community. My grandfather was the first African-American letter carrier in El Paso, Texas. He spoke fluent Spanish. My father was in the military. Uh, he traveled the world, was in uh, two world wars. And my mother was one of the first 12 students led by the NAACP in a as a plaintiff uh, integrating the University of Texas at El Paso. It was a big lawsuit, and her, her legacy is remarkable. Well, that's outstanding. Now, the approval of labor unions right now is 71%. It's the highest since 1965. Yeah. And with Gen Z, uh, anyone born after 1995, it's, nine, it's uh, 88%. So labor is on fire right now. You see what's going on uh, around the world with UAW uh, getting uh, those outstanding raise increases. WGA strikes are happening all across the country. Now, I've been in labor a while, and I know that you've been a congresswoman for, I think, uh, over 20 years. Is that correct? Yeah, 25 years. Oh, 25 yeah, years. 25. Wow, happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> and, and so the approval of labor unions in 2009 uh, was about 40%, and now it's, it's, it's 71%. It's just growing and growing, you know, everything going around the country. How, how much different is it now? Um, in elected office now that the labor movement is so strong? Well, the labor movement, first of all, is uh, the primary movement that allows for a pathway into the middle class. And uh, I've always been a very strong labor union supporter. Secondly, uh, the fight for good-paying jobs with benefits, with uh, good retirements, all of what the American dream constitutes the labor movement stands for. And I think right now here in California, I'm really proud because, of course, we're leading and unionizing California and the rest of the country is finally uh, catching up. And it's really remarkable because I want to just say to our brothers and sisters in the union movement, they've educated the public and members of Congress as to why this is a quality of life issue and it's about really being uh, pro-American <laughs> because everyone deserves uh, to have a, a decent good-paying job with benefits to be able to take care of their family. Well, that's awesome. You know, on the Union or Bus podcast, we always say uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, kitchen table economics. You know, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. However, the labor movement, like you said, is, is you know, where people go to. And yeah. what I, what I want to ask you is, you know, sometimes we ask for legislation to be passed. Now, the governor vetoed uh, unemployment benefits for striking workers. Now, Adam Schiff, and he is uh, another candidate for U.S. Senate. You are running for Senate. Mm -hmm. Now, um, he is saying he wants to have unemployment benefits for striking workers to be federal law. Would you, is that something that you would be for? Absolutely. Uh, workers pay into the unemployment compensation fund. They deserve to have unemployment compensation if they're out for whatever reason, including uh, out to uh, strike because, of course, they're fighting for not only themselves but for other workers who deserve to be able to have the right to strike and not have to worry about losing their uh, unemployment compensation. So I support, uh, supported the state initiative, but also I support the federal. 
That's awesome. And then AI, everyone's saying AI, AI, AI. And there was a bill that went to the governor's desk and it was to require truck drivers, you know, big rigs, uh, you know, to, for, for to have at least a, a person in there, require a person to be in that truck to make it law. Would you be, and he vetoed it, uh, would you be for that as well? No, I was for that and I'm still for that because uh, we have to make sure that, first of all, uh, workers don't uh, lose their jobs as a result of AI. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, uh, the safety issues uh, still haven't been resolved, and I'm very careful about uh, supporting any uh, vehicles, <laughs> autonomous vehicles, that don't have uh, a driver in, in there, mm -hmm. uh, especially with uh, trucks and cars on roads and uh, heavy uh, traffic areas. So, yes, I supported that. And I hope that uh, next time around it will be uh, signed into law. I always think of safety. I was like, you know, having just no one in there it really yeah. concerns me. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, and, and those were vetoed. And, 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 and moving forward, I know green jobs, green, you know, a green economy. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a lot of union members in, you know, uh, coal mining, uh, gas, oil, you know, good union jobs. How would you balance, uh, you know, a green economy and the union jobs, a balance between quality union jobs and a green economy a transition, if you will? Sure. And I've had a lot of experience with this because in my district uh, in the Bay Area, we had four bases which closed. And in fact, we had to look at uh, what we called uh, the transition into uh, the private sector, into a commercial uh, peace dividend type of uh, economy. And so we had to make sure that there was what we call now a just transition. And I believe that as we, we have to wean ourselves from fossil fuels that we're going to protect this planet, but workers should not have to pay as a result of us moving forward in a, in a more a healthy and sound manner to preserve our planet. So I think that workers should be able to be trained. Um, the Just Transition proposal in the bill that I supported, the Green New Deal, as well as in the Donald McEachin um, uh, Environmental Justice for All, that's what it's called. We have uh, provisions where workers would not lose their jobs. They would maintain their salary and benefits as they tra and training as they uh, are trained for this new green economy. And so we can't leave those gaps there with workers without any um, good-paying jobs. You know, um, I'm always very open with my union members. I, uh, with my union members, I am a union representative, and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them, their mental health is a is a huge issue right now. I battle alcohol, alcoholism, mm -hmm. uh, what anxiety, depression. I gave my life to mm -hmm. Lord. I haven't had drinking, you know, going on 13 years. So, but my my question is, is how important is mental health mm -hmm. right now for? to the emphasis on it. Yeah, the emphasis on mental health is very important. You know, my profession, I'm not a lawyer, but I have my MSW. I'm a psychiatric clinical social worker. Oh. And I started Community Mental Health Center. My sister yeah. was a social worker. So, yeah, good, very good. good. And we, know, we understand the times that we're in, and we understand what's going on, uh, and I do with regard to the suicide rates and the trauma. And there are a lot of issues since COVID, especially with our young people. And so I believe that we have to first invest more resources into mental health, but also we have to make sure that the parity, which we passed in law, mm -hmm. is, is, is really upheld because parity with mental and physical health should be reimbursed by insurance companies in terms of the treatment. And we have to have a new model of mental health services where people feel comfortable 
uh, in going to see a mental health counselor or going for some type of intervention. When I had my mental health service, I didn't even call it uh, my mental health clinic. I didn't call it a mental health clinic. I called it cha uh, Community Health Alliance for Neighborhood Growth and Education, Change Incorporated. And that was because I wanted to reduce the stigma so that people who were depressed, on edge, anxious, whatever the issues were, they felt comfortable in coming. And then I was able to train people. You don't have to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker to be able to learn the skills of train that uh, allow you to be able to be a counselor or a therapist. But at the same time, what I learned also was a lot of the mental health stress had to do with the social determinants, like people didn't have uh, child care. Hmm. Okay, some people were living on the streets. Some people needed a job. And so quite naturally, you're going <laughs> to have some issues, right? Stress. Or 60% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck. Here in California, 40 million people, 20 million are living paycheck to paycheck. Wow. So what I did was in my the model of, of the clinic that I established, we had, we had a training program for people who did not have a degree, but who were trained to be able to help people with their daily needs like oh so this person is depressed because they have three kids and don't have a job so let's see if we can help find a job at the same time that we're doing the therapy or the counseling yeah. and it has to be culturally and linguistically appropriate and right now uh, we see how mental health is um, playing out and destroying many many families and you know we're to transition over um you, uh, with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict going on right now, and um, you were in Congress, one of the few Congress people, one of the few elected officials on the federal level that is for a ceasefire. Also, going back, you've been in Congress, you were around uh, in Congress during the I Iraq War, and, you know, how, you know, my, 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 my question is, is, do you think... You know, when you were when you were getting um, pushback during that time, because it just seemed like that everyone was saying weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass destruction. And, 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 and do you think, in a way, now we have the ceasefire movement, everything what's going on? Do you think the media, in some ways, is manufacturing consent for war? September 11th changed the world. Our deepest fears now haunt us. Yet I am convinced that military action will not prevent further acts of international terrorism against the United States. You know, I never know what, what the media is up to. I can just tell you, I believe that, uh, well, when I voted against, but there were two authorizations. Mm -hmm. The one after the horrific events of 9-11, where I was the only one who voted against it. And then fast forward, you, the next year, it was the Iraq authorization. Mm -hmm. And we were told lies. There were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. There weren't. We knew that. Uh, Democrats knew it. Republicans knew it. Mm -hmm. But uh, they decided, uh, and the President Bush wanted to go after Saddam Hussein, and this was the perfect time to do that, uh, even though they lied to the American public. So I was able to then talk to other members and tell them, you know, based on I voted against the first one and the only one, you know, I knew what was taking place in members' minds. So we were able to work to get uh, more Democrats to oppose uh, that authorization. But you cannot have uh, any authorization that is, is open-ended. Mm. These authorizations established 
an open-ended um, framework for any president to go to war at any time, any place, forever. I call it forever wars. And so now I'm trying to repeal those authorizations with some Republican support. And I've gotten it through Congress a couple of times. And fast forward to now, you know, we have to really be uh, very um, careful in how uh, and what we do as it relates to issues of war and peace and what we support or what we don't support. And yes, we have to condemn the Hamas attacks on um, Israel. Uh, and Israelis uh, deserve the right to live in security. That's, mm. that's a given, and terrorist organizations should be dealt with. No one, I don't think that I've talked to who are calling for a ceasefire support Hamas. Come on. Mm. But we want this prosecuted in a way where 11,000-plus civilians whose lives have been taken, many, many thousands of children uh, in harm's way being killed, that's... Um, unacceptable you know and and I'm thinking of trauma this is you know the Vietnam War was the very first war that was televised this what's the Israeli uh, Palestinian conflict you see it on all the platforms you know people sharing stories the horrific stories on both sides and do you think like this is a mental health issue for the for everyone like what's kind of going on it's this is impacting people in different ways yeah I know it is I know it is because it, it really is sad first of all and people are grieving mm -hmm. uh, and as I said during uh, the horrific events of 9-11 you don't make pol political people and leadership people who are elected don't make critical decisions when you're mourning and grieving Absolutely. that's psychology 101 so yeah the trauma is grieving, sad, fearful. People don't know what's going on, really. I mean, this war could end up a regional war. Then what? Uh, it's very scary. And so that's why we have to contain it and call for a ceasefire and make sure that um, Israel is secure uh, and, and not mess up a path to peace and a path where there can be peace, security, and justice for the Palestinians and for the Israelis. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about there's so many things that are out of our control. Um, and um, like, like go back to COVID, you know, there were a lot of legislation on state levels, federal levels, guaranteeing, you know, benefits during COVID. And to me, I'm a big advocate of, of Medicare for all. I think everyone should have health care. And some, th some things are beyond our control. No one could control COVID. No one can, you know, uh, we don't have control on, on necessarily what's going on in, in, in Israel, Palestine. And it's, it's almost like, you know, Medic Medicare for all. <laughs> This is a mental health issue. I think it's very traumatic for people. And I, I'm glad that, you know, kind of you know, explaining, you know, being more articulate. But Americans and, and, and the entire country, is, you know, I believe they're scared right now. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, just, you talk about trauma. Uh, I, uh, again, born in El Paso, Texas, but I do a lot on immigration issues. And so when Donald Trump decided to separate children from their families, I went all mm. over the country and saw these children traumatized, saw their parents traumatized. Can you imagine when these children grow up how they're going to hate America for what they did with their parents and themselves? Some kids still haven't been reunited. And so we have to be careful mm -hmm. in how we move forward uh, because uh, you're creating more anger. Uh, and, and that's what I fear for um, as it relates to the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, if this does not end soon, mm -hmm. you're going to have more anger more uh, terrorists that are going to be created behind what's taking place. And I don't want to see that for Israel. 
and I don't want to see that for the Palestinians. Well, I appreciate that, and we always like to end the podcast. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say or add? Um, we are the hottest labor podcast yeah. in San Diego. Now we are in LA today at the at the at the Westin Hotel, Union Hotel, by the way. Oh yes, oh yes. Well, <laughs> let me tell you what I'll say is this: I've always been. Uh, a person who has not only voted on behalf of our brothers and sisters in the labor movement, but I've been out there on strikes and picket lines forever. I had the privilege to know uh, C.L. Dellums. If you don't know who he is, he was the first African-American who led a union. He established the Brotherhood of Pullman Porters for the trains years ago, and I met him. He was the uncle of my former boss and, and the person who preceded me in Congress, Ronald V. Dellums. So I want people to know those names because he was an African-American labor leader who taught me a lot. I was arrested on the picket line with the ILWU uh, boycotting ships coming in from South Africa. We decided, and the ILWU decided, that they were not going to allow them to be undocked at the Port of Oakland. So I was out there picketing with the ILWU and got arrested as a result of that. Wow. And so my life has been about supporting working men and women, the right to unionize. But also, if, if the powers that be aren't listening, then I'm out there on the picket line. And I've helped negotiate many, many strikes um, and helped bring both sides together. And still working with Unite Here uh, with a couple of hotel issues working with um, SEIU. I work with a lot of unions uh, to try to make sure that justice is done. And so I just want to thank you for giving me a chance. to. And I it. heard uh, your uh, chief of staff used to be a UFCW member. Oh, yes. Oh, well, that's oh, great. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and to this day, uh, I will not go to a checkout counter without a an employee <laughs> checking me out. That's my yeah. protest yeah. On, so, on technology yeah. Yeah. It, no, as it relates to exactly. the un <laughs> union members losing jobs as a result of yeah. these uh, checkouts, mm -hmm. self-checkouts. Right. So that's just my and, own and, personal and protest. It's like it's a personal protest. It's like, you know, we yeah. don't work here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I won't do it. You've never seen me checking anything out, scanning. <laughs> I'm waiting a long yeah. line. <laughs> and we don't know autonomous trucks no, <laughs> without no, they require, without you know, no, there's no, just no. so much going on. But we no. really appreciate having you on this podcast, okay. you know, and uh, I am Chris Lopez. I am your union brother on TikTok. I'm going to say good night. Good night. Good <laughs> night.